You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Hello, everybody. Robert Carrillo here in Metro Vision Studio, Studio A. And uh, tonight we continue a series that we have been doing on uh, characters in the Bible, examples, heroes in the Bible. And we've done a number of them. We'll be doing a few more. And tonight I want to focus on Elijah. And I want to focus on a, a part of Elijah's life that is a little different than what we usually focus on. Usually when you hear a sermon about Elijah, it's almost always about his challenge with the prophets of Baal and how he won such a great victory. Or maybe it's about the drought that he called for and how the ravens fed him. Or maybe it's about the widow and how he raised her son to life and she gave him the last bit of uh, flour and water that she had. And I mean, there's there's so many great victories in Elijah's life. It's very, uh, it's just, his life is incredibly inspirational. And, and those are the things that we usually focus on. But I want to focus on a different part tonight of Elijah's life. And it really kind of connects with the whole theme of spirituality that we've been talking about. Um, because I think this, this chapter in Elijah's life, and literally we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 19, if you want to go ahead and turn there, is a chapter where we really get to see God's heart. And I think particularly... Uh, God's heart in our time of need, when we're hurting and when we're going through difficult times. There was a time in my life a couple years back where, where I was just really hurting. I, I was, I felt spiritually weak. I felt emotionally weak. I felt physically weak and I was just hurting all over. And there was a number of things that had happened in my life that just were so discouraging and deeply troubling. And I felt like I was just like in a desert, you know, spiritually, emotionally. And I felt so down and I was having a really hard time. I mean, I think I was very much depressed. And I discovered this. I don't even remember if somebody told me to read or or if I ran into it or I heard it in a book or something. I don't know. But but I started re- reading Elijah's life and I got to chapter 19. And I honestly, I probably read chapter 19 10, 15 times. Because it was so healing for me and so inspiring. And and more than anything, it just showed God's heart and showed how God feels about us. Chapter 19 follows, of course, chapter 17 and 18. And that's where we read about all those great victories, you know, about the, the, the drought and the ravens bringing food and the widow and the, the wheat and the, 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 the raising the sun to, from the dead and the... And the, the the great challenge on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal and how he calls down fire from heaven. And, you know, it was it was a terrible time in Israel's history. And the Jews were, many of them were worshiping Baal. They had turned their backs on God. And, you know, that they were forgetting Yahweh. And so God, Yahweh, sends Elijah in. His very name means Yahweh is God. So, it was kind of a challenge right up front. He just right up from the from the beginning. That's his name, and and particularly he cha- challenged them where it hurts. You know, Baal was the god of rain, and 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 so he calls for a drought to show that Yahweh has control over the rain. And when he had the challenge of the sacrifice, and and he calls down fire from heaven. I mean, that was a lightning rod that comes down 
Well, Bale's symbol was a lightning rod. If you ever see statues of Bale, he's always got a, a lightning rod in his hand. You know, so Elijah was directly challenging Baal and the prophets of Baal. And of course, you know the story already. He calls down fire from heaven. The lightning comes down and consumes everything. What a great victory. But then something happens that throws everything off. And that's where we'll pick it up. Chapter 19 of 1 Kings. We read, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Remember, Jezebel is the one who really turned the king of Israel uh, to toward Baal, the king of God's people, towards Baal, and promoted Baal worship and promoted the Baal prophets in even among God's people. So she's she's bad news, and we all know that, right? Hopefully nobody names their kid Jezebel, um, although I have heard of it once. So in verse 2, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. So she makes it very clear, I'm going to kill you. I mean, basically what she's saying. I'm going to hunt you down and I'm going to kill you just like you killed the prophets of Baal. And she swore an oath, which is pretty intense to do that, that if I don't kill you by tomorrow, then may God deal with me severely. May the gods deal with me severely. So she was stepping out there and certain that she was going to kill him. I mean, this is this is a death sentence that there's no way out of. I mean, this, you know, Elijah's got no army. He's got no protection. So what's he do? Well, verse 3, Elijah was afraid. Now, I just say that. Stop right there for a second. That can be kind of obvious, right? Well, of course he was afraid. Now, I want you to really think about it. This is a man of God. This is one of God's prophets. This is one somebody who just called fire down from heaven. And all of a sudden he's afraid. That shows you, that's the first indicator right there, something's wrong. Something's not right with Elijah. He's tired. He's, you know, whenever you have a great victory, there's usually a downtime afterwards, right? Behind after every mountain there's a valley. And Elijah had been running and traveling back and forth all over northern Israel. And all of a sudden, he gets a death threat, and he just gets afraid. Fear is, I think, a much bigger issue than we often think about. In fact, the older I get, the more I see fear being the the motivation to a lot of sin and a lot of bad behavior. And a lot of dumb things we do in life. And so many of the things that we have messed up in our lives, it was because we were afraid of something. We were afraid of being unimportant or afraid of of not being recognized or afraid of not being loved or not being appreciated. And a lot of times we act stupid because we want to show off or we want to 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 make everybody think we're something because we're afraid of being nothing. And there's there's just fear in so many different ways. Elijah was afraid. He says it right up front. And he says, and ran for his life. He was afraid of dying. He was afraid of what Jezebel would do to him and he runs for his life. And when he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he, he's running. 
he doesn't even he doesn't want his servant to get in trouble. He leaves his servant and he just keeps running for a whole nother day. I mean the man is scared. And he runs into the wilderness and it says he came to a broom brush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. So, you know, we wonder, like, what's going on in his mind? What's happening? He lays down under a broom tree or a broom bush and he prayed that he might die. What in the world makes somebody want to just die? He was so deeply discouraged. Was he was he mad at God because his life was in danger? I don't think so. Because of what he says. He says he says um first he says I've had enough. I I can't do it. I can't do any more. You know you know, you know you know that point when you get to in life where you're just I'm done. I'm done. I no mas. You know, can't do any more. And and we all reach that point. When do we reach that point? Usually when we're exhausted. When we're exhausted, we got no more to give. We we got no more energy. We got we don't have another ounce of emotional strength. We just like I'm done. We're burned out. We're tired. We're just done. Elijah was there. He was at that point. He 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 despairs of even life. That I just he that he might die. I mean that's 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 a pretty low point. That you just rather be dead. He's hurting that much. Is he angry at God? I don't think so. Why? Because of what he says next. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He's not saying, why didn't you protect me? Or why did you leave me out to, to get attacked? Or why? why? No. He knows. He knows he should be more faithful. He knows he should have more courage. He knows that he should be more confident in God. He knows better. And so what does he feel? He feels a deep shame. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. As much as Israel's messing up, I'm messing up. I'm no better than they are. No, he's not thinking he's great. He's thinking he failed. He's feeling like a big, fat failure. And we all get that sometimes. We always have we always have Satan telling us you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not faithful enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're just not enough. You don't cut it. You're no good. You have no value. You make no difference. You have no meaning. You know what I'm talking about. These aren't things we say out loud, but these are things that happen in our head. And we all have tapes in our mind of things people have said to us. And unfortunately, we can't delete them. And when we're down, or when we're really tired, or when we're emotionally knocked out, boy, those tapes just aren't playing. And sometimes we can't even turn them off. I think, I think Elijah was just deeply, deeply discouraged. And deeply depressed. And you know what depressed people do? They go to sleep. And that's what he did. 
He said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. You know, people in the world, when they get discouraged or they get overwhelmed, what do they do? Well, they, they go get high. They go take some drugs. They go take drink some alcohol. They go eat. They go do something that gives them pleasure. To try to escape from those feelings. Well, Elijah's a man of God. He's not going to go do drugs. He's not going to go be immoral. He's not going to, you know, do something evil. He goes and lays down and goes to sleep. And sometimes, you know, when you're really discouraged, it's just, it's, you just don't want to sit there anymore because sitting there, you think. You think. And you want to stop thinking. That's why people drink. So what does Elijah do? Well, he goes to sleep. He's so incredibly discouraged and ashamed because he knows that he shouldn't be. He knows that he should be faithful. He should be strong, and he's not. And we've always got Satan there telling us what we're not. I suspect the worst part of all this was his shame. That's why he says, I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, he's he's not mad at God. He's mad at himself for what he's done and what he's not doing. And he tells God, just take my life. All at once. And here's, here's the incredible thing is how God responds. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't, he doesn't, say, he doesn't say, Elijah, what the heck are you doing? Get up. Wake up, man. Get it together. What are, what are you, you disappoint me. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't rebuke him for his lack of faith. No, he sees him and he sends an angel. He says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. I love this because it shows you God's heart. He sees Elijah. He's a good man. Is he weak? Oh, sure he's weak. Is he even broken? Probably broken. But he doesn't condemn him. He sends an angel and he makes some food. And I, I, I love that because food is a love language to me. I love cooking for my friends. I love making food for the family. When we have family gatherings, I love to make a big paella or something. It's just a way that I express my love. Jesus was often at meals. You know, food is just, it's one of those things that connects us. What does God do? He makes them bread and he brings them cool water. How valuable is that? How cool is that? How symbolic is that? Bread and water. Give us this day our daily bread. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. Symbolic of Jesus. Symbolic of God's love. He just takes care of him. His physical needs. God isn't like, well, you know, spiritually you should be doing better. Get it together. Deny yourself. No. He feeds them. And he gives them water to drink. He takes care. I think it's one of the most tender moments in the whole Bible. God just taking care of his, his son. God taking care of his servant. And I love this. Because Elijah was a person like us, right? 
And he's just trying to serve God, trying to do things for God. And sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we, we, we get empty. We run on empty. Sometimes we get broken. And we get discouraged. And when we're really, really honest sometimes, and we're not facing, we're not close to God, and we're not getting filled with God's love, we get stuck in shame. The shame of our sin, the shame of our mistakes, the shame of where we blow it. And we feel like God is just frowning, waiting to zap us. But that's not what he does. He sends an angel, and he makes bread. And what, I bet that bread was good. Personally, I, bet, I think it was probably a tortilla. Nice, fresh, flour tortilla. Oh man, that's good when you're hungry. Maybe there was even butter in the scriptures, just didn't say it. But he took care of them, that's the point. He saw his physical need. You see, God loves us totally. Not just our spirits, not just our souls. Our minds, our hearts, and our bodies. He loves us completely. And he and he makes him this bread. And so Elijah uh, eats the bread. He ate and drank and lay down again. He was so tired. He was so exhausted. He goes right back to sleep. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And I love this because he knew Elijah was weak. He was weak spiritually, he was weak emotionally, and he was weak physically. And so he doesn't tell him, just get up and get going. No, he feeds him. He meets his needs. He meets his needs. And he even tells him, he says, he says the journey is too much for you. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to face, the hardest thing to admit. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overloaded. It's gotten too much for you, for me. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to admit. And the angel just recognizes it and tells him, you know what? This is too much for you. You need to rest. You need to eat. You need to sleep. And I think sometimes God looks at us and he sees us running around like crazy all the time. And it's what he would say to us. You need to rest, you need to sleep, you need to slow down, and you need to live in the moment. I think sometimes he's the first one that gets cut out when we're running around so busy all the time. And he's the last one we think about. Because we're so busy thinking about the, the urgent things of life. And he just wants Elijah to stop, to rest, and to recuperate. And he knows Elijah's overdone it. question is, do we know it when we're overdoing it? When we're doing too much? And when we're making bad decisions because of it? And we're running away from who we should be running to? So, he got up and ate, and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he was strengthened by it. God wants to strengthen us. He wants to strengthen you. So he's trying to always take care of us and feed us as we need. To strengthen by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights 
until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights, which is symbolic of a long journey. And he reaches Mount Horeb. Why Mount Horeb? What's the deal with Mount Horeb? Horeb is the mountain of the Lord. It's also known as Mount Sinai, the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments, the place where God made the pact with his people, and they became his people, and he accepted them. It's where the wedding occurred between the people and their God. It's where it all started as a holy nation, as a people belonging to God. So, Elisha, even in his fatigue, but he was strengthened, and he knew what to do. What did he do? He went back to God. He went to go spend time with the Lord on Mount Horeb. What do we need to do? We need to spend time with the Lord. We need to go to Mount Horeb. When we're busy, when we're overloaded, when we're exhausted, when we're tired, when we're worn down, when we're struggling with shame, we don't need to run away from God. We need to run to God. We need to go to his mountain and be with him again. And get back there. You know, every so often I have to, I have to, I realize I'm getting to that point. And I just block out a day to be with God. Or I block out, a, sometimes every year, usually in January, I'll block out three days to just spend with God. And every day I block out my morning, a big chunk of morning, just to be with God in prayer and meditation and scripture study and reading and journaling and writing to God and speaking with God. Why? Because I need it every day. Why? Because stuff hits me every day. Because Satan's after me every single day. He takes no days off. So there's not even one day that I want to be separate from God. Or I want to be distant from God. He ran to Mount Horeb. Because he knew that's where he needed to go. He knew that's where he needed to be. It says, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I love that he asks him. Because he wants him to think about, what am I doing? We have to think about what we're doing. We have to think, we have to be mindful. What am I doing? How am I living my life? Am I overloaded? Am I overwhelmed? Am I overstretched? Am I giving God the time I need with him? Am I taking care of myself physically, emotionally, spiritually? What are you doing? with this life you've been given, with this soul that you have, with the spirit you've been entrusted with. What are you doing? And he asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. You know, he's, he's having a little bit of a pity party here. Things are bad, and I'm the only one trying to do what's right. You ever feel that way? Yeah, oh yeah, we feel that way sometimes. I'm the only one who knows the troubles I've seen. I'm the only one doing all this stuff. And we get lonely in our minds, right? 
The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I love this because, you know, Elijah had been through some pretty big experiences and pretty major stuff with God. And you know, when we have the big experiences, the baptism, the, the, you know, the big change or whatever, it's easy to see God. It's easy to be aware of God. Those are the earthquakes. Those are the great winds. Those are the fires. But the gentle whispers where he found God. God on a daily level. God every morning. God speaking you to you every time you read your Bible. It's just a gentle whisper. If you're not listening, you won't hear it. If you're not paying attention, you won't hear it. Are you listening? Are you paying close attention? So, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And he heard it this time. He went out to God. And God asked him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he makes him think it through again. He's teaching Elijah. He's teaching us, guys. He's teaching you. He's teaching me. God is present. Always. Not just in the big things, but in the small things. The daily life. He is present. Every time you read your Bible, it seems like a small thing. It's a gentle whisper, but it is the Lord. Make no mistake. And he says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down. He basically tells the same story. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abba to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bound down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. So God tells him, no, you know what, Elijah, you're part of something much bigger than you think. One, you need to get help. He says, you go name Elisha your assistant. And you go back to these guys who are going to help you. You're not alone. So stop thinking you're alone. We're never alone. God is always with us. And he's always putting people in our life to help us. And we have to recognize that, know that. When you're feeling alone, what it really means is you're not paying attention. Because God is always there. And he's always trying to help us. And he's always putting people in our lives. We're never abandoned. Not with God. He's always available. In fact, he says, look, I got another 7,000 who've not bent a knee, who are not worshiping Baal. 
There's a lot of other people. Sometimes we feel, I'm the only one trying. I'm the only one doing, working hard. It's never the truth. God always has people working. God works in front of us, behind us, and all around us. God is always working. But what I love about this story and the point of today is just stopping and noticing that God is paying attention. And that God cares about you. And that God will meet your needs. Not just your spiritual needs, your physical needs too. The kind of God we serve is the kind of God that would bake us bread and pour us water. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? The God who, yes, he's in the big things. But he's also in the gentle whisper. And the God who's working not just in us, but in people all around us all the time. Much of spiritual maturity is just becoming aware of God all around us. So that's our lesson tonight from Elijah. God bless you. And buen camino. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 